Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator for August 2010, episode 54. And this is Martha, the co-pilot, and I'm happy to say we're not reporting from our oh, at-home studio. We've taken a brief um, <laughs> but, but. trip and are currently camped on the shores of the mighty Ohio River in the very southern part of Indiana. Literally overlooking the river, we're in a very nice uh, city campground. Unfortunately, due to the fact that we are in very high temperatures and very high humidity, we are indoors. <laughs> so we might as well be at home. But we have a very nice hey, view. Even out the front window, we have a great view. We have a very nice view. Oh, the camping is always interesting in RVing. And the our neighbor, by the way, is something you should be a little careful about when you're at a campground. Oh, this is, just is that our neighbor just pulled his RV out of his campsite, forgetting to put down his TV antenna. So in the process, he took out the internet <laughs> for the entire campground because <laughs> there is now a long black wire that's dangling down. <laughs> I mean, it's a 50 foot wire at least because he took it off between two telephone poles, ripped it right off, and I don't even think they knew they did it, but uh, on their way out, that's what happened, and so now we are without the, <laughs> internet. The campground's internet. <laughs> oh, Easy mistake careful. to make. Things do happen. So we're very happy to be with you again, and I uh, want to remind you about our contact information. Please, please send us an email at navigator at rvnavigator.com, and of course, uh, visit our website at www.rvnavigator.com A bit of unfinished business. <laughs> um, as you know, beloved listeners, yes. Ken is very I'm fond of gizmos. My, my and radar he wanted you to give him detector. some reasons about why he should buy a pocket radar detector. <sighs> and, and finally um, somebody has come through and given me the, the, the validity for buying this wonderful device. It's a pocket radar speed detector. Well, I don't know if he gave you reasons. He gave me a good laugh. <laughs> so our buddy Al from, from, down, under. from down Under has uh, put his thinking cap on and given me 10 reasons, a la David Letterman, about why I should buy the... Pocket radar detector. The pocket radar. Number 10. No, we start with number one. No, no, you start with number 10. You work up to number one. You watch David Letterman. No, that's his conclusion. He's from Australia. He doesn't know about He's doing David things Letterman. upside down. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm starting with number one because it's cool. Okay. Well, that is very, yes, very definitely. And that's why, I put, that's why I've been bugging my listeners about why I should buy it. It is very cool. Number two, it will amaze my friends. Yes, I can tell them exactly how fast they're going, how fast the, the golf ball is being hit. Number three, because oh. you have a spare pocket. <laughs> <laughs> And I, oh, I always have to have cargo pants so that I've You have lots of spare pockets. <laughs> and some spare flab to go with it. Okay. 
because I can't resist a gizmo with a big red button. You have a big red button? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and only one. Oh, no, I have to have gizmos with lots of handles and buttons. and So that they're totally it. confusing for me to use. Okay. Number five, it will provide endless hours of fun. Yes, you can measure the speed of people pulling out of their campsites, <laughs> pulling down the wires in the camp. Oh, did, I didn't know it has a maximum measurement speed yeah, of 375 miles per hour. Now that's a challenge. So when we're parked at the end of the runway, like we were yesterday we or can, this week, we can... Oh, yeah, those planes are going can, right over our heads. tell the speed of the airplanes. Oh. Number seven, it will be a great addition to his gizmo collection. Absolutely, and I have lots of things that I don't use but that are part of the collection. <laughs> Historical artifacts is what I call them. <laughs> Your listener, no. just send me an email. I'll show you my list. No Does wonder anybody we need want to a buy a high definition dish for DirecTV? Oh, yes. yes. We just happen to have one for sale. It'll go into the archives soon. <laughs> oh, good. Because Martha really wants to know how fast she hits the golf ball. <laughs> I'm just lucky to hit it at all. Oh, Truth that, be told. Could, that could be really. Number, number nine, to satisfy your inner gizmologist. Uh, and the number 10 reason why Ken should buy the pocket radar is because Al would like a review <laughs> of it before he buys one for his own intercosmologist. So he can it's too bad your friend Al is so many thousands of miles away. The two of you together could do some real damage. Well, we could buy every other gizmo. <laughs> we would only have to buy... Thank you, Al, for... Th- Thinking so hard and trying to help Ken. I don't know if that's going to be really. <laughs> it's going to be able to sell it though. All right, so that's uh, that's a good story. But uh, our our buddy Debbie, who sells, uh, oh, I want to say super soaps, but well, it's not the right name. Anyway, she we interviewed her a while ago, and she sent us an interesting letter. <laughs> an um, interesting email. She wrote, "What happened to us has likely happened to others, but my husband, the big guy, I like that a lot." Oh, the big guy. Uh, fashioned a rather unique way of solving it. We're currently camped at Lake Bashir in south-central Georgia visiting some friends. The gnats are out in full force, and they have brought their hungry mosquito friends as well. We were visiting with our friends in their RV and had left our patio light on as there was no moon that night, and state park campgrounds are quite dark. Mm. We'd left the light on in our RV as well, since it would be quite late when we returned. You can guess what's coming. One door opening, and all those gnats and mosquitoes were inside the RV. Thousands of them, literally covering the ceiling. No way we could sleep with them in the rig, and we carry no bug spray with us. So between a fly swatter and some paper towels, we were succeeding (laughs) in killing them a couple at a time. At this rate, we'd be up till dawn before they were all gone. And the big guy said, wait, where's the vacuum? All right. And so he To the rescue. And they uh, gave very high praise to their Dyson vacuum, which another... Another gizmo. (laughs) You already have a vacuum. I said it's too expensive, but they (laughs) said that the Dyson is by far the best vacuum they've ever had. So that was uh, some very interesting emails this month, and we do appreciate it. We've actually added to the... The rig photo page? The rig photo page, yes, exactly. And uh, one of the pictures that we added was uh, from listener Wally, who puts up or sent us a picture of his 1989 Airstream motorhome. And he has pictures indoors and outdoors, and it is very beautiful. 
and he's done a great job. I I assume restoring it, but I wasn't. I'm not that clear. But it looks like it's in great shape, and that's a really a classic oldie. So I I would encourage you to take a look at at his uh, his page and to take a look at his rig. But uh, at the same time, we have been at the National RV Show, the rally. Looking at a lot of restored old rigs. That's right, because this they consider to be the 100th year of RVing. RVing. And one of the displays they had at the RV show was the display of old old rigs, and they had a nice presentation where they showed pictures. And, boy, uh, we sometimes think this is camping, but that was real camping. And, of course, when the roads were not roads, they were just cow paths, more or less. And if you've watched the series... Uh, the National Park series on PBS, you know that visiting those places that was that was real camping to see these RVs uh, that frank people living in are them. still in use. That's what was really amazing. These early RVs were uh, made out of wood and they were towed by a specialized vehicle. Some of them even had kind of a fifth wheel attachment on the back for towing the the trailer. And people are still living in them. They've restored them. And many of them have put a little air conditioner on top, but still the inside is is very very nice, and you know it has that that very nice wood feel, and the walls are all paneled with wood, and because that's the material that they're made out of, and they had a couple of uh, of old uh, silver bullets that would go right along with this airstream, and there is apparently an, an, a wing of the Good Sam that uh, that is old RVs. And they, some of them, the trailers were pulled by lovingly restored old cars, too. Yeah, a black caddy yeah. convertible yeah. <laughs> so was that one, which was very nice on most days, but the days we were there, it was hot, hot, hot. And, of course, the presentation we saw was done by the historian of the Elkhart RV Museum, which I think we've talked about before yes, and, and want to give another shout-out to because yes. they do such a nice job of giving you a perspective on, on the industry. They were called something cars, and then they were called motorhomes. House cars. House cars and then they turned to motorhomes and they turned was, to motorhomes and, then it, was, and then it was rvs right mm-hmm. and uh house cars were the thing of the 30s the 20s and 30s and and, and he, a lot of them they <laughs> where you, you unbolt the standard frame that you'd use as a it's passenger like car the body and you lift it up in your barn and then you lower it on at this handmade new body new body which was made out of uh, plywood and things and that's your your RV for the two or three weeks that you have vacation. You come home, you lift off the old, the RV body, and you put the passenger body back on, and you're back in business as a regular car. And he had some photographs of very early custom-made RVs, which I guess they all were, um, done by rich people who had their servants along with them, and they had compartments in the RV for the servants to sleep in. And uh, he described some of the trips they took. And another one that was 65 feet long. When there were no roads, you know, and how harrowing the journeys must have been. And and the bus that went out to the... Saudi Arabia was he was the sold King Farouk. And, oh yeah, he bought it. Yeah, anyway, for, so for anyway, hunting trips out in the desert. Uh, there is a book probably for sale on the 
Good Sam uh, website that will take you into the history of RVing. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, and that, of course, was part of the the rally. I, I, you know, that is now a proper name, which is always confusing. Yes, it is. I'm going and, to and, the rally. No, I'm going the, to the rally. <laughs> that's right. And the rally this year was held in Louisville, Kentucky, at the state fairgrounds, which was uh, actually quite convenient. And we wanted to just tell you a little bit about it and how you could go about uh, visiting the next one, which is going. Going to be in Redmond, Washington. Um, not too sure exactly the dates because we won't be there, but uh, this is one of several rallies that are held uh, throughout the country. FMCA has one, and uh, Escapees has another, and so there's there's a bunch of these around, but this is the largest one on a nationwide basis. If you're interested in signing up, uh, you, of course, want to go there and bring your RV because that's the way you stay as a rule, although that's not necessary. If you're just going to shop, you could, of course, stay in a hotel or something. Or if it's in your area, you could just come yeah. for the day. They sell day passes, too. Yeah, $10 a day, but that was just to visit the exhibitors. But when you make the decision to go, there will be two choices. One is you can have uh, standard camping without electricity and then, well, parking lot camping with electricity. And in the past, we've chosen with electricity, but that adds about 20 bucks a night to the stay. So the difference was 369 versus $189 for the four days of the, of the show. And we decided not to go with electricity, thinking that... Uh, for a couple of hours a day, we can run our generator, keep our batteries charged, and we will save ourselves lots of money. Ha ha. However, because the temperature has been well into the 90s and didn't get below 90 for even the evening time in Louisville, And Kentucky, it was very humid. Very humid. Uh, we had to run the generator all the time. We were in the RV. And they made a special uh, change of rules yes. to allow this, because usually in most places they want them to be quiet at 11 p.m. And it was also struck me as we walked through the electric part of the camping that the generators that they brought in to supply <laughs> electricity to people were probably three times as loud as the generators well, that were running around the us. The way they provide electricity lot. for all these RVs because they're just parked in, they're just parked in regular parking lots, usually paved parking lots. You know, most stadiums have a large uh, paved parking area around them, and they just park the RVs row after row, and they provide a generator for each, however many, and it's 30-amp service, so that uh, they have to have these generators running full-time, and apparently uh, the generators ran out of gas because people, people were, were using, using air so much electricity. Yeah, it was and so so they, hot. there were some apparently some problems with the the generator side of it anyway. So that if you have a generator equipped RV or you're self-contained, our suggestion would be that you just go and boondock. And boondock. Although I could see some trailers around us that had a lot of fuel cans sitting on the parking lot by the end of the Yeah, well, most people, I, you know, I think we would go with the intention of running the generator maybe four or five hours a day at but, most. And if you brought animals, you had to keep it yeah, going. right. So uh, the logistics are easy. You can go sign up on the web and pay your price and go camp. And, of course, there is no water. There is no sewer. So it's it's. Oh, they did have honey wagon service if you want to pay. They have honey wagon service if you want to pay extra for it. Uh, so that is feasible. But we don't have any trouble doing the four nights without. And we're really impressed by the Louisville facility. There's a yes, whole lot indeed. of different kinds of things gathered in this one space. Unfortunately, just next to the airport, so it felt like the planes were oh, landing we on our heads. Mention, yes. Um, <laughs> and and it is the hub for UPS. And when do UPS flights fly? Oh, from what we experienced about. 
11 p.m. They were coming in with. <laughs> they start about 11 and go till about one in the morning. <laughs> so every. So running your generator was a good thing. Every five minutes, there was a plane, a UPS plane landing, literally over our heads, because we were within sight of the airport tower. Here. But the facility had um, huge meeting rooms, so yes. whenever we went to a presentation, there was plenty of room to sit down. It had room for in- indoor storage of all the rigs that were available for you to um, kick the tires and inspect. Yep. And um, a huge vendor area that was all under one roof. It had entertainment every evening, and that was in air-conditioned splendor, all part of that same facility. So everything, once we got to the facility was all air conditioned and we could uh, walk to it and it was all indoors with uh, once we were inside we were inside for the day and we didn't have to come out again until we had to come back to the hot hot rv and we spoke with a dealer who comes down from Elkhart for the uh, commercial show that they have in the same facility in the winter, and he said the same thing. It's very nice to be there in the winter, too, because yes. it's all under one roof. Yeah, so although they're not in RVs at that time. It's a, it's a very nice facility. We were impressed. Yeah, and much nicer than other ones that we've been to. But we were a bit apprehensive about going to Louisville again. In fact, I said I wouldn't go. <laughs> Because the last time we tried to go to this, she won't go to this rally in Louisville. We were still in our trailer, and as Ken said, we had decided to pay for the electricity that they would provide, which was to take place in large grassy fields. And uh, unbeknownst to us, they had had some bodacious amounts of rain a few days prior, which flooded out the fields, made it impossible to park rigs on them. They were afraid they would electrocute everybody if they let them park, and they didn't have a good plan for this. So we literally sat on the oval highway that circles this giant facility for four hours before we got to the head of a line, which told us that they had nowhere for us to go and we had to go home. Essentially, they told us yes. And of course, because all of the private campgrounds are all full, because some RVers want to have full hookups and so they stay at the private campgrounds in the area, of which there are not that many anyway, uh, so that we had no choice but to just head on home. It was a day I would like to forget. But that was in 2003, and by 2010, everything is copacetic and hunky-dory. Although they were still parking some people on the grass. That were yeah, yeah, but it, but it wasn't bad. And no, it didn't rain. Yeah, and, they, and the grass, even when we got there, was a little wet, but it seemed like everybody got out without any trouble. So that's kind of the, la- the logistics and the camping aspect of um, going to a show. But there are lots of other things. Of course, why do you go? And if you are in the market for buying an RV, this is a great place. Really one-stop shopping. Yes, and the dealers are there to sell, so uh, you can get show specials and see a wide range of RVs. Right next to each other. Right next to each other in lots of categories. Although, frankly, uh, there were some big people missing, like Tiffin. And what surprised me this time was that there were a number of used vehicles for sale, which we had not noticed before. Uh, On the the show floor. The ones they brought in there were in beautiful condition, and if you didn't look at the sign and see that they were used, you wouldn't guess it. But um, maybe this is a sign of how the industry is changing a bit. Well, and I think one of the things we're seeing is, is that people, are you know, to keep the price down, they're looking at used RVs, and certainly we are proponents of, of looking at and buying a used RV. The Gypsy Journal had a story about uh, that he he was filling up his his car and he was noticing that our, our friend was a was an RVer and said, "Hey, I, I just ordered my brand new RV and I'm going to uh, be picking it up in two months." And and he said, uh, 
you know, what can I expect? And the guy said, well, and a new RV. He said, I would never buy a new RV because it, it's going to have all these bugs. And the guy said, I bought this because we we debated between used and new, and I bought new because I I knew that it would come from the factory. Perfect. Perfect. Perfectly. In perfect condition. And from our experience, as well as from the Gypsy Journal experience, there is no such thing as a perfect RV out and of the factory. And our friends who have bought new have, have, have always had, had some and issues. They, and they've gone into it with that. It's going to take you at least six months to work out the bugs. Whereas if you buy he used one. It probably has had the bugs worked out of it, and that's uh, was the case with us too. So, you might want to consider buying a nice used one. And they, as she said, they had them for sale. And as these rallies do, there were a variety of different seminars targeted toward different kinds of interests. Um, I attended the ones that tended to be destination oriented. There yes. were presentations about Alaska. going to Alaska and yep. maritime. Um, Canada and down to Mexico. Uh, generally, the people who are presenting are representing somebody who wants to sell you something, uh, but that wasn't the primary yeah. agenda at these They're presentations. They would mention it, but they wouldn't push it really hard. So I felt like I learned a lot and, of those. And, and they said there were 175 seminars to choose from, and so that's, that's a lot. And if you're, no matter what topic you're interested in, whether it's diesel engines or <laughs> how to cook with your convection oven, they had seminars that, would, that dealt with those topics um, because there are things to learn about living the RV lifestyle. And whether you're a newbie or whether you're someplace there are else things along to the learn. line, yeah. uh, we found the, the the seminars to be pretty good. You know, technical ones and not so technical ones, and uh, on virtually every RVing topic. You know, tires, engines, keeping your drain, your how, how sewer to keep hose. things clean. <laughs> How to wash your clothes in your in-rig laundry machine without getting wrinkles. That's well worth going to the seminars, and that's one of the specialties of this. And that, of course, is all included in the in the original price. And then, of course, the vendors that are there vary greatly as well. And there one thing we always try to do when we go to these rallies is schedule a little work to be done. This time we had our generator overhauled because that's so convenient, too. All, exactly. the, all the repair people and technicians are there. If you You're need there. Done. They just cruise around in their truck from one one rig to another and take care of business. The guy next to right. us was getting his windshield replaced. Can you imagine that? Uh, in, the, in the parking lot, he had both of his windshields replaced because they had picked up uh, stone damage. And they came out and did it in about 45 minutes and... Psh- it was done. We're thinking about getting our carpeting replaced with flooring, and uh, the guy came out and measured us. And uh, All of which would take us a lot of time if we had to a go. A lot of running around. Well, well, and a lot of places like the flooring guy, they want to come out, you know, they want to estimate it, they want to look at it, they want to measure, and then they have to order the stuff. And give you a quote. And give you a quote to, to get it done. And and to do both of those things in one step would take you'd have to be at their facility for several weeks. And in actuality we talked to two flooring guys which I always love to do because that gives you um, the feeling that you are making the best choice rather than choosing the one that's closest to wherever you happen to be when you're looking around. So that's very convenient when you go to these big rallies too. So things you can have done, you can have awnings done, you can have the oil changed on your generator and or engine windshields we saw 
we saw bumper uh, metallic accessories being put on, as well as you can buy all sorts of things that you might want to add to your, your coach. A real hot item this time was flagpoles. We saw so many vendors selling flagpoles. Yeah. I was looking for new, new and neat gizmos, but I'm not going to mention any because I didn't find any new and neat gizmos. because you already own everything. Well, that could possibly be. But I talked to, like, the Silverleaf guy for our engine monitoring system, and I found out uh, some tips and tricks about how to do that because there was a seminar dealing with that particular topic. So our impressions of this show in terms of what we saw, um, as we said, uh, there were th- about 300 vendors, and there was nothing really new in the vendor area. Um, there were... Uh, campgrounds there were products there were t-shirts with with uh rv slogans on them and there were there a fair amount of vendors that were not necessarily rv oriented mm-hmm. like they sold jewelry well, and or pots chip and, and pans and, and chip it yeah but yeah but potlucks type stuff and stuff for your and of pets. course a huge display by camping world right which they sold just about everything right. that they you know, so i could make. imagine some couples where one of them is much more interested in rving than the others <laughs> and the other would still find some things that might be of interest there and lawn chairs that held fire Five hundred pound people. <laughs> that seemed to be a big one. <laughs> a sad comment on the average the, American the, the today. Giant size launch. <laughs> oh, and they sold scooters. Yeah, and and those little clown bikes that fold in half. Yeah, so all sorts of stuff. We looked at most of the rigs on the show floor, and a couple of impressions that we came away. Uh, we have been looking at the small Class A's and comparing them to the Class C's. And just to uh, refresh your memory, Class A is flat in the front, and the windshield starts right at the front in front of the driver and you know goes up and, and forms a box, whereas a Class C has kind of a van-like front with, a, with, a, with an engine uh, in the front. And some of them look and, more like 18-wheelers. Well, yes, but those are the Super Cs. Yeah. But this is with the cab over. I would say that the Class Cs were a little cheaper than the small Class As. And by the way, these are both in about the same size in terms of footage. The Class Cs, the, we're talking about 29, 30, 31 feet, which is pretty small for a Class A and fairly large for a Class C, as they have traditionally been defined. But they certainly were there in abundance um, now, and you could easily buy a Class C gas for 90000 Some of the floor plans were really nice, and some of the floor plans you just said, what the hell are they doing? Well, different people have different Different interests, people have different but, tastes. But, but I was really impressed with how the small space was And many utilized. of the Class A's run on the Sprinter chassis so that they have a, a similar look. They kind of have a raked front end, a nose that, that, that sticks out. But the engine's in the front, and it's, but it's a diesel. And the thing that we were shocked about those is that the dash is huge. They have a two-and-a-half-foot dashboard in front of the driver. And they had seats that did not turn around, so that compartment was compartment was only used for driving. There was no chance of using those seats for uh, when the RV is parked. And another thing we saw a lot in Class A's are um, in-home type refrigerators. That seemed to be oh, a big trend. That's going to be a big problem. And less um, burners on the stoves. Most of them were two burner yeah, stoves. There were quite a, quite a few that were all electric, and I'm not really sold on that. They want to get rid of the propane tank because they're going to put a urea tank in there in place of it. 
But still, that's uh, I'm not sure that going all electric and having extra batteries to do that is really going to be the way to go. Although, of course, a home-type refrigerator is very nice. Yeah. I mean, they have water in the door and the double doors, and some of them have... I the, saw one that was just like the fridge I had Yeah, at well, and they slide out a freezer compartment on the bottom, you know, so whatever you want in terms of a refrigerator, you could just drop it in there if it wasn't exactly what you wanted when it, when it came from the factory. But I think that that's going to be a trend that's going to be short-lived because I think propane, our refrigerator works great. Even in the hottest weather, it's it's good, and being able to run it off propane is a real plus. And even when it uses electricity, it doesn't use nearly as much as a, as a regular refrigerator. So you decide. Uh, but I wanted to go back to the Class Cs. The Class Cs have the cab over, so you've got the space up above, and many people have thought about that as just a sleeping area. Uh, but many of the RVs made for couples have uh, storage and entertainment centers up above the cab so that they are no longer just beds above. They have an uh, entertainment system and a huge storage area up there up in front, which makes it much more useful as a full-timers type of rig. So I'm not really sold on the class, the small Class A in terms of space usage, but... You'll have to get in and drive it yourself. To each his own. Nearly all the Class Cs are gas, and these smaller Class As are diesel. And that could be a problem, as we uh, have encountered. Because diesel is getting to be a problem. In diesel, The 2010 diesel emission standards are really causing a problem, and we have run across another issue with that, and we talked about it last month. And the new issue is not only is it pricey, but it also adds a great deal of weight. In a Class A like ours, uh, they tell us that it adds about 1,000 pounds. And by doing so, that in a 40-foot Class A RV, it makes the rear axle overweight. Apparently, you can only have 20,000 pounds on the rear axles by government law. You can only have 20,000 pounds on an axle. And that would, the extra weight of the engine and the urea and the all this extra emission stuff has has put them overweight. And which many, means you have to add another axle, which means you add more cost. Exactly. Well, but not only that, but it reduces the amount of weight. And one of the things we, the weight that you can carry, the, the cargo capacity. And one of the things we really like about this coach is the fact that it has a three-ton capacity right. of junk we can put in it. Right. So we had it weighed, and we found out that we're still underweight, even though we have everything but the kitchen. Well, we have the kitchen sink in here. <laughs> and, but, and many but, gizmos. And many gizmos, exactly. So we not only have everything in here, but we're still underweight. Whereas the new ones, apparently... Um, you can't do that with. Not only are the compartments taken up with this extra stuff, but the extra weight makes it so that you can't carry that extra stuff and put your rear axle overweight. Apparently what some of the manufacturers are doing is saying that they're just plain looking the other way. They're saying, we're rating the, the rear axle at 22,000 pounds. But that's not safe. The, no, the axle's okay, but that's too heavy for the for the roads. And apparently some of the like Pennsylvania, have automatic weighing systems and that you can get caught and get a ticket for having an RV that's overweight. One of the things that we have noticed also, if you're still following along on this, is, is that we looked at the new Dutch stars from Newmar. The 40-footers now have a tag. It, used, it kind of is, a, is an axiom that up to 40 feet, it was just a dual axle. We had a front and a rear axle. Anything over 40 feet had a tag. 
which is the second axle in the back. Which was kind of an easy way to see how, how yeah, long, long a rig was. Yeah, so you could just kind of automatically look at it. And now we find out that for 2011, I assume, the newest ones, that Numar has done the right thing, and they've added an extra axle in the back for the 40-footers. Now, think about this. That adds much more Much money. more weight. <laughs> but it gives you your cargo capacity back. And then oh. you'd have to buy another set of tires when it this, comes to buying tires. This emission thing is just causing a huge amount It's really going to do in diesel, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm afraid so, too. So, once again, it's reason why you want to buy a used. Right, right. So the show was good. We had a good time. We spent three full days there. We should also mention that this show, as many do, had some pre-days that you could sign up for as well. One of the reasons we didn't was that we were boondocking, and that seemed a long time to go without fresh water. Um, and many of the sessions that were offered in the pre-days looked like they would be of interest, too. So yeah. uh, in some ways, we wished we had come a day or two earlier. So if you do sign up, pay attention and try to find out as much as you can about the agenda uh, for the the stuff that's going on before the official start of the show. I think the most innovative floor plan we saw was a Class A gas done by Damon in the Challenger series. And this one was interesting. <laughs> we were shocked when we looked at it. Because uh, it reminded us. Not only was it less the, than $100,000 for a 38 footer, which was a good deal. And it reminded us of the floor plans we love in, in, uh, in trailers and fifth wheels. Right. And what this is, is they have. The door is more or less in the middle of the RV. The front, when you turn right, it's a living area with a TV and couch, uh, sofa, and a door which closes that area off, and that area is all carpeted. And, of course, as you go forward, you would come to the driver's seat and the passenger seat so that there's actually quite a lot of uh, sitting room up there because you can turn those two and seats And that makes around. an area that you can close off and heat or air condition when you're driving well, with doors in extremes that close it off, right? of weather, where ours now is, is all kind of this big open space, and it can... And then in the middle, if you turn left as you go in, it has a all tile, and it's got the kitchen and the bathroom with a nice table that and windows that uh, let you feel like you're outdoors and another TV, which is nice. And then you go through another door, and you're in the bedroom. And by the time we saw this rig, there were four signs hanging on it uh, yes. indicating that people had bought... Four, four times, yeah. and we didn't see that on any of the other rigs that we visited. Well, not this only weekend. is the price really good, but the layout is very interesting yeah. and, and I think quite usable. Has three reasonably sized slides. The biggest slide is in the back, which is interesting. Most of them have uh, two big slides in the front, and then a slide or two in the back for the bedroom. But this one uh, is is just a very different design, and that is uh, the Damon Challenger Model 371, if you'd like to take a look at that on the web. Yeah, if I remember, I will put a link to it on our website. And as we talk about the website, uh, we'll talk about a few new things that we've added to our website. And we have the latest website is findfuelstops.com. We're always interested in saving money as we drive down the road. And you never know, as we're finding out in Indiana. They changed the they tax cheat. laws. They cheat us. We used to love to refuel in Indiana right before we came home, but no more. They advertise on the big signs. They advertise the truck price without tax for diesel. And then when you pull in, you find out that it's actually more expensive for cars and RVs than it is at home. So we're, we're a little miffed. Boycott Indiana. We're a little miffed at Indiana. But you, you can, can use go, that website to find out. If you go to findfuelstops.com, 
and you put in your route, which is also very cool, right. they will list all the truck stops and the prices along the route. So you know exactly where to stop. Exactly. So that sounds like a nice one. Uh, we also want to mention the pop-up portal. Uh, a listener, Stephen, sent us uh, a nice email, and I've had a couple of correspondences with him, and he runs the pop-up portal. And the pop-up portal is for those folks who are into the pop-up RVing lifestyle. We haven't ever done pop-up. And you're all familiar with pop-ups, so the small little trailer that put you pull behind your vehicle. And when you when you go to our rig website, <laughs> you'll take a look at his, and you'll see his is at the extreme small end of that. But and they usually you know flip open, and it becomes kind of a tent uh, on the trailer. Perhaps yeah. Stephen doesn't have as many gizmos. Stephen does not have any gizmos. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> and maybe his wife is. Oh no, he's single, so. But anyway, Stephen runs this portal, and if you're into pop-up camping, you should probably take a look at it because it looked uh, quite interesting. Oh, it's it's popupportal.com. Also, you might want to take a look at rvparking.com. For a long time, we've used RV Park Reviews as one of our major sources for finding out information about campgrounds before we arrive because it has reviews written by people that are in a similar position about RV campgrounds. So this is kind of a competitor to that. Um, this is called rvparking.com, and it's in beta. But you might want to take a look at it. They say that they have reviews of 18,000 campgrounds, which sounds like sounds a lot like to a me. Lot. And what is also beneficial is that they have an iPhone app. So we have uh, found what is listed as 117 things to add to your RV bucket list. And we're going to challenge our listeners. Can you add to this? It's a very nice site. It's kind of organized going from the East Coast to the West Coast, and it has some things on it that are very famous that are probably already on your bucket list and things that I've never heard of. Like, number one, in the fall, drive or hike up to Cadillac Mountain on Maine's Mount Desert Island. Ooh, and you can see the sunrise. Number two, what I'm not going to get up for the sunrise. Determine which coastal New England town has the best crab cakes. That'd be fun. That would be fun. And we tried to do that last year. Ride the oldest working carousel in the country, Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. We were there, but we didn't do it. No. We left this off the bucket list. Well, that's because everybody really has their own bucket list. Buy a lobster off the lobstering boat in coastal in a coastal marina. Oh, we've done that. Anyway, there are 117 of these. and I we, didn't see anything for Hawaii, but I think ooh. everywhere else, including Alaska, that you could really go with an RV, um, they have nice suggestions. Glue some gemstones to the soles of your shoes and tour Graceland, Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. Get lucky in Kentucky. Bet on a horse at Churchill Downs, Louisville, Kentucky. We did that. Done that. So what's on your bucket list? Voyage through Voyageurs National Park in Minnesota. Done that. Tour of Abe Lincoln's house. Observe the size of the home Compared to your RV, Springfield, Illinois. Done that. Done that a couple of times, as a matter of fact. We've done it many times. Uh, run the bases at the Field of Dreams in Dyersville, Dyersville, Dyersville Iowa. Iowa. Haven't done that. Could have, but didn't. 
get all dolled up and see a country show at Branson, Missouri. Done that. Done that. After you've had a chance to look at the list yourself, um, you should add some things to the bucket list and let us know what they are. And 17, 117 is a rather odd number, so we should be able to come up with at least 150. I like 117. It's Why? when you see top 10 lists and people always feel forced into having to have 10. Anyway, this, go, this to the web, go to our website and we will provide you with the link that will take you to this other website that has the 110. 117. Oh, <laughs> I was close. <laughs> we also want to report that uh, the RV business is revving up in Elkhart, Indiana. And the New York Times actually is reporting on a nice article about how the high-flying days of the 70s aren't going to really come back in Elkhart, but unemployment rate has gone down fairly dramatically from 20 down to 13%. Which, Still too high, oh, but those, better. Yeah, and one of the things that, uh, the last story that we want to talk about is uh, kind of an interesting one, <laughs> a, a change for campgrounds, because campgrounds roll out new lodging options. Camp Camping for people who don't camp. But they like the idea of camping. I was very surprised at the number here. If you haven't stayed in a campground in a while, you may have missed the hottest trend in business. Now offered by approximately one-third of the nation's 8,000 public campgrounds, so-called park models are making outdoors more accessible to people who don't own an RV, preferring not to sleep on the ground, and wouldn't mind a little comfort along the way. So basically what they do is is that the campgrounds have cabins or they have park model RVs that are permanently... Um, in the campground, and you can rent them and use it as your base of operations. We actually find this to be quite good because we have, obviously, uh, non-RVing friends, and we can travel and we can park our RV in the campground, and they can stay in one of these nice, permanently stationed RVs. Um, and we can all be in the same place. And we can all be in the same place, and they're pretty much experiencing the same thing. Or for people who maybe are looking to buy an RV and want to see what the living style is like, this might be the way to do it and seeing if they can live in 400 square feet. (laughs) And not kill each other by the end of the weekend. (laughs) But they're hooked up with real electricity and plumbing, and so you know they don't have to mess with uh, emptying the holding tanks and all that sort of stuff. Do you hear thunder? I do. I do. So the afternoon thunderstorms are coming our way, and we better get off here before we get ourselves electrified. We don't want to have a meltdown in the portable RV navigator studio. (laughs) With electricity dancing up and down the the aisle. That happened once. We know. A big fireball rolled down an aisle of our trailer world. We were in there eating lunch during a thunderstorm. In Williamsburg, Virginia. And it blew out our inverter. Our converter. Or a converter. Yes. They're all pretty We didn't have an inverter at the time. They're pretty much the same Oh, dear listener, she still doesn't understand what's going on in this I'll never forget that day. (laughs) She's barely learned how to turn on the Wi-Fi, let alone (laughs) Turk talking about converters. So, this was an exciting trip, uh, and we will be home, and then uh, next month we may be a little bit late in posting. Sorry. Because we will not have good internet connections because we will be in London. On the high seas. Yes, uh, we will be in the high seas um, talking to you from probably more rain. (laughs) (laughs) And cold. We'll be complaining about the cold instead of complaining about the heat. These RV navigators, you can just never make them happy, Never please them. Anyway, so it's been fun talking to you, and we hope to hear from you in the not-too-distant future, and we hope to be parked in a campground near you. You stole my line. (laughs) (laughs) I have nothing to say. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Goodbye.